are so beautiful. Just look at how peaceful you are when you're sleeping. It's no wonder I can't get anything done. And even though I enjoy these quiet moments, I'm going to wake you up very soon because heaven knows, as much as I love I Love Lucy reruns, I don't think I can take another night of it all because you don't want to sleep. Sounds like another visitor. Everyone just wants to see you. Cindy! Hi. Mind if a stranger comes to visit? Oh, I've missed you. <laughs> Come on in. Man, you know, I've tried calling you so many times, but you never seem to be home. I, I know, I'm sorry. Work has kept me really busy. I guess so. I was beginning to think you were mad at me. Oh, no. Here, for the baby. Sorry it's so late. That's okay. I did miss you at the baby shower, though. Yeah, I just I couldn't get away. But man, I really wanted to play those baby shower games. <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. Oh, this is so adorable. Ashley will be so cute in this. Thank you. You bet. Well, where is she? Oh, she's over here. Come on, she's sleeping. Do you want to hold her? No, no, I don't want to disturb her. Please, disturb her. I need her to wake up. She sleeps like a log during the day, and suddenly our bedtime hits, and she's a party waiting to happen. I can't. I really should get going. No, no, no. You just got here. Look, I haven't seen you since Ashley was born. Two months ago, Jeff has gone fishing, and I could really use some stimulating adult conversation. <laughs> Don't make me beg. Okay. Okay. Just for a little bit. Good. Isn't she cute all snuggled up in her blanket? She smiles all the time now. And you should see Jeff with her. He cried for the whole first week after we brought her home. I blamed my tears on postpartum, but he was just so moved by this miracle of life. He says she's not going to date until she's 30. And even then, he has an interview questionnaire all lined up for any guy who tries. Sounds like a really good dad. Yeah, he is. Are you okay? Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm just really overworked. Oh, well, then you have to hold Ashley. Just snuggling her can melt away any troubles you might have. Uh, no, I, I can't. I haven't held a baby and so I... Nonsense. Oh. I've seen you with babies and you're a natural. See? Oh, you look so sweet. <laughs> I have to go get my camera. Jeff hides the SD card from me, so I won't fill up the whole thing in one day. Be right back. But I, I, wait right here. <sighs> you sure are beautiful. So tiny and perfect, such a defenseless and dependent little creature. I'm sorry I haven't come to see you sooner. Let's just, let's just say it's a long story. I wish you could just melt away all my troubles. I 
wish somebody would hold me like this. Finally found it. Jeff hid it in the workshop. Okay, smile big so... Oh, sweetie. What's wrong? Here, let me put Ashley down. Come on, it's okay. You can let go. Cindy, I've never seen you like this. Will you please tell me what's going on? Oh, it's, it's nothing. I'm just emotional and really happy for you. No, I don't buy it. It's more than that. You've totally distanced yourself from me over the past several months, and I only saw you for two minutes in the hospital when Ashley was born. Are you mad at me? No, no. Are you jealous? I know I've been really excited about the baby, but I haven't intentionally no, done... No, you should be excited. How can I be jealous of such a beautiful being? Well, what then? Cindy, you are my best friend, and I've really needed you these past few months. Needed me? How have you needed me? Look at you, the perfect mom who could do no wrong. You have everything you ever wanted. How could you possibly need me? Cindy, what's going on? What have I done? Nothing. It's not you. I promise it's not you. Then what? Please talk to me. I can't stand to see you this way. Do you remember your wedding two years ago when I passed out standing up, up front? Yeah. You were embarrassed and upset because you thought you spoiled my wedding. What about it? I didn't faint because I was nervous or hot. I fainted because I was sick. Sick? I fainted because I was pregnant. Pregnant? I can't believe I didn't know. I was so wrapped up in the wedding. No! You didn't know because I didn't want you to know. Or anybody else, for that matter. I had already decided to have an abortion, and I didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. Being single and pregnant wasn't cause for celebration in my family. I was already suffering for making the mistake and then having to deal with the disapproval and disappointment from everybody. I, I couldn't take it all. So I talked to someone. And they said I still had time to abort the pregnancy. I didn't feel pregnant, so I assumed they were right. It seems like it was over as fast as the decision had been made. I thought everything was fine. And then you got pregnant. And I watched this life form and grow inside of you. But all I had was this sinking feeling in my heart, and I didn't, I didn't understand why. And then when I saw Ashley in the hospital, I was just overwhelmed with guilt and pain. I finally realized what I had done. 
And then I was angry. I wanted to blame you. I wanted to blame my parents, the doctor, anybody. I only had myself to blame. Now I can't stop crying, wondering what if, what if I had just, was it a boy or a girl? Cindy, I'm so sorry. I wish I knew what to say. <laughs> say what you're thinking what everyone thinks. I am a horrible, selfish person. I don't think of you that way. You made a mistake that you're obviously truly sorry for. Now you should just try and move on with your life. <laughs> move on. Move on with my life? What life? My life ended the day I denied that child the chance to live. All because I didn't want to be reminded of a mistake. Now I can't forget. My heart won't let me. Will you sit down with me? yourself, you're going to keep paying for that same mistake over and over again. Your life is far too precious to waste it away on guilt. How can I forgive myself? What about that precious life? What about my baby? Your baby. I'm sure that God is taking great care of your baby. Now he wants to take care of you. Cindy, if you don't let go, then all this suffering will be in vain. I don't know if I can. Not alone. You kept me away two years ago, but I'm here now. And if you let me, I promise to be by your side every step of the way. There's probably no more controversial issue in our culture today than the issue of abortion. Dealing with it publicly is a little like kicking a bee's nest and thinking you're not going to get stung. I know that. But my hope, my intent today is to bring grace, truth, and healing. And I believe all those are possible in Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us no matter what. Thank you that you bring grace and truth into our lives that both comforts us and changes us from the inside out. God, I need you this morning. We need you. I pray that you would speak through your word, through me, and open ears to hear what you want them to hear today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a series starting today. It's called Hot Button Issues. 
And um, I need you to know something before, you know, you hear anything else today. But I don't expect you to agree with everything that I say about every issue we're going to deal with. I've been doing this for a, a long time. And I've talked to lots of folks, and I realize there's lots of opinions. One thing I know about everybody sitting in this room is that you have an opinion. So I get that. I understand that reality. I am, though, going to ask you to listen with an open heart. I expect you to guard our unity, to not be divisive, that even if you disagree with me, we can practice civility and mutual respect, and we can be kind to each other. My intent is not to stir up dissension. That is not why I'm doing this message this morning or the series we're going to be in. I'm not trying to just stir up the pot. I'm not one of those guys. But to encourage you uh, to look at these topics is what I hope, and to look at them from a biblical perspective. Now, I realize that some of you may not believe in the Bible or believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You need to know out of the shoots, I do. And I believe it is the standard for life, for our morality, for what we do or don't do in this world. But I'm going to ask you to listen and uh, last service, there were several people who got up and left during my message, and they didn't listen. I'm asking, I'm begging you, just to open your heart, to hear, to listen. And whether you agree with me or disagree with me, uh, you need to know that I'm going to love you, and I want to encourage you to love me. See, we must love above all. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter, who had made plenty of mistakes in his life, said this, above all, meaning it's, this is the big deal. This is huge. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm begging you. I'm asking you. Must love each other no matter what. Over my many years of being a pastor, I've had uh, lots and lots and lots, probably uh, well over 100 conversations with women who have gone through abortion. I've wept with them. I've held them. I've listened to their stories. I've agonized with them. Many years ago when I was on staff at Life Center, I spoke on a Wednesday night. And I don't remember what the topic was, but afterwards, a woman came up to me, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, can God forgive any of my sin? And without hesitation, I said, absolutely, there's nothing too big for God to forgive. Of course he can forgive any sin. And then she dropped her eyes, began to weep, then she began to sob, and before long, it happened pretty quickly, she's almost convulsing, just her whole body is shaking. And she whispered through her tears, can God forgive me even if I've had an abortion? And I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, yes, you can. You see, for me, why would I tell that story? Well, this isn't just an issue. It's not a political topic or just a debatable controversy. When I see this issue, when I talk about this, I see faces. I remember people whom I deeply love and the tears and their stories. And so this is way more than just an issue for me. This is about life and about people. The statistics are sobering. Uh, they are shocking, in fact. 22% of all pregnancies in the U.S., 22%, almost one in four, ends in an abortion. An estimated 43% of all women uh, will have at least one abortion by the time they are 45 years of age, 43%. And sadly, and this does break my heart, that one in six of those women claim to be born again and say that they're part of the church. Worldwide, when I read this this week, this, it shocked me. I, it, it bothered me. I stood up, went into my living room. I was working in my home office and began to weep and pray when I read this one. That for, worldwide, there are over 42 million, 42 million abortions each year. 
That's 115,000 babies a day. In the United States, just in our, our country, there are well over one million abortions per year. And to put that into some perspective, if you were to add up all the casualties of every war we've ever been in, from the Revolutionary War all the way through the Afghan War, the number of combined totals of deaths in those wars would not even come close to the number of aborted babies that we in this country experience every year. 93% of all abortions occur for social reasons, meaning it's the child was considered an inconvenience or just unwanted, 93%. 1% due to rape, about 6% due to health reasons of the mother or of the child. But 93% as opposed to 7% are due to one simple reason, the child's just not wanted. Now, listen carefully to me. This is a point when the last service people started glaring at me. I understand the, the arguments. I'm very familiar with the debates. I get that I'm going against the culture right now. The majority in our culture, according to one resource I read this week, and then I read it again in the newspaper yesterday, the majority of Americans keep, uh, they favor uh, keeping abortion legal in the first trimester. Almost all are opposed to late-term abortions, but most do believe it's okay as long as it's within the first trimester. So again, guys, I know that what I'm sharing today is, is countercultural, but please stop and think with me. 42 million babies. That's too many. That's too big to get this wrong. Now, some will say it's 42 million fetuses. Again, I'm familiar with the argument. That's not a child. That's not, it's not fair to say 42 million children. It's 42 million fetuses. For them, it's just a mass of lifeless flesh, a bit of tissue. It's not a human child. Pro-abortion, pro-choice advocates argue over the viability of what they call the fetus or an embryo. And they deny any wrongdoing. I get their argument. I've listened, I've read, I have had lots of conversations with people over this issue. They would say the fetus is not viable. It's not a life. We're not killing anybody. And that really is the point of contention. Because obviously nobody wants to be, you know, a murderer. But this takes me to my first point that I want us to consider today. It's in your outline. Number one, all life is a gift from God. The Bible is clear on this. Again, you're free to disagree. But the Bible is clear, all life is a gift from God. And again, I don't know anybody that would argue that life is a gift. They might, not, they might argue over the from God part, but most would say life is a gift. Only an idiot would be in favor of murder. Of course not. Nobody wants to do that. For the pro-abortion folks, however, the issue comes down to a definition of life. When does life begin? When does a fetus become a child? And they see the removal of what they would call uterine contents as Nothing more than removal of something like a planter's warp. Maybe painful, but not wrong. I want to start by considering some scientific facts. These are non-debatable facts. Facts. To begin with, from the very day of conception, the very moment of conception, 46, all 46 chromosomes are present that will make that person unique and never to be copied, reproduced, or, or, or duplicated ever again. A unique person, one of a kind. On the day, at the moment of conception, about three weeks after conception, prior to the moment when most women are even aware that they're pregnant, the, the child's heart begins to beat. Just six weeks into the child's development in the womb, the child's brain waves are active and detectable. Just six weeks into development. Just under two months into the pregnancy, every organ, every organ, well within the first trimester, every organ in the child's body is in place. Bones are taking shape, fingerprints, one-of-a-kind unique Fingerprints are being formed. 
And by the end of the second month, again, within the first trimester, the baby has all the characteristics of a human body. Toes, fingers, eyes, ears, and a mouth. All. I think an honest evaluation of just the science would say that it's more than a mass of lifeless flesh. Each uh, time I have this conversation with someone, I know that becomes the point of contention. But even the one-time owner of Oregon's largest abortion clinic, a woman by the name of Eileen Kloss, once admitted under oath, I quote, of course human life begins at conception. See, I don't think this is just Christian propaganda. It's common sense. And why, and here's another fact, why 84% of mothers decide not to have an abortion after seeing an ultrasound. 84%. Because they see a, a living person, not just a blob of mass of flesh. Okay, let's say that you're not convinced, that you still strongly disagree. Remember, we're going to love each other. But uh, let's look at this from a different angle. And I, I want to take a moment and look at this from a philosophical perspective, not just a physical perspective. I believe the science shows that that, that embryo, that fetus, is in fact a child, a living being. And the whole issue of viability, again, let me just insert this. You know, if a baby acts after that baby, that little boy or girl takes their first breath, left alone to them to, without adult help or some sort of care, they're not viable either. They're not going to survive. So the issue of viability is one, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a weak argument for the science. But let's take a look at this philosophical issue here. Would you be willing to admit that every person, every embryo even, every fetus, if you want to call it that, within a woman's womb has a destiny? has a, a unique life that, that that child is going to live. And maybe even if you're a God follower, a Christ follower, you would say, and, and a God-given purpose. That every, every person, so unique, so, so amazing that they have a destiny and a God-given purpose. And if that's true, if that, what some call a lifeless mass, actually has a destiny, then doesn't that make that life precious and priceless to God and hopefully to us? Over 40 times, the scriptures refer to conception as the beginning of life. This, there's no confusion over this in the Bible. Psalm 139, uh, often quoted, often read when we talk about this issue, but the psalmist refers to it several times. Verse 13 to 16 says, You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And some of you guys are thinking, Yes, my wife is definitely wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, the psalmist says, is marvelous. How well I know it. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And listen very carefully to verse 16. This ties directly to this philosophical argument I'm making about destiny. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God has a, te- a, pl- a plan and a destiny for us. The psalmist declares that God is the ultimate creator of all life. You may not believe that. That is what the Bible declares, and that's what I believe. That God is the ultimate creator of every living thing. That he is involved in the intimate and, and intricate development in the womb, which ought to be the safest place in the world. And that the psalmist says here in verse 16 that we have a God-given destiny to fulfill. Listen to it one more time. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now sometimes we go our way and not God's way, but God's had a destiny and a plan for us from the beginning. To God, we matter. We matter because we have a purpose. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now we're not all prophets to the nations. But the point here is that God says, before I formed you. Who formed him? God did. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I had a purpose for you. Even before conception, we matter to God. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 10, God made us, he created us to belong to Christ Jesus. Now we can do good things. Long ago, God prepared them for us to do. God's always had a plan for your life. You may not have discovered it yet. You may not believe that yet. But God has always had a plan and a destiny for you and for every living person on this planet. Occasionally, someone will say to me, well, show me in the Bible where it forbids abortion. And I respond this way every single time. Listen carefully. My response is, the Bible does not explicitly forbid abortion. You will not find thou shalt not have an abortion. But it also doesn't explicitly forbid cannibalism or child abuse. And nobody argues that those aren't good. There are many things taught, clearly taught in the scriptures, even though they may not be explicitly taught. Because we infer them from the values, from the value of human life. We infer them from other moral laws in the scriptures. Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill. Now some say, and, and it's just a, a silly argument. Well, that's the Old Testament. We're not on the Old Testament. That's the law. And the law doesn't matter to us anymore. And they, they don't understand something. I want you to understand. We are not under the ceremonial law. All the ritual law that was in the Old Testament. But Jesus affirmed the moral law. He said, I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfillment. And the moral law, such as the Ten Commandments, we are under. And again, maybe that confuses you. Let me make it clear. There are things that Old Testament, like eating pork, no way, you know, the Jews were supposed to do that. You go have pig today, I don't care. But the moral law is something that we are clearly taught in the scriptures. And that's what, where it's, it, there's no question. Abortion in the scriptures is terminating a life. The life of a developing child, a human being, with a heartbeat, a brain, and a unique, one-of-a-kind destiny. That's the science, but more than that, a unique, one-of-a-kind purpose and destiny to fulfill. Imagine the loss to our world of Beethoven, or Einstein, or Abraham Lincoln, or Helen Keller, who was handicapped, by the way, or Billy Graham had been terminated before birth. Imagine the loss of those great men and women, the destiny that they fulfilled. Think, well, I'm no, I'm no great guy, no great gal. Well, imagine the loss if your mother or father had, had terminated you, if you never came. The loss to your friends, to your family, to the church, to the kingdom, to me, if you were never a part of my life. And I thought about this this week, and I, I, I know Christmas is a couple months away, but I've been thinking about it. I love it. And imagine what it might have happened if this poor, unmarried, young teenage mother, yes, poor, unmarried, teenage mother named Mary, had rejected the life that was in her. Again, you're free to reject the Bible and what it teaches. But again, the word of God is clear. All life from the moment of conception is precious and priceless, priceless to God, all life. All right, let's move on. Here's the second thing to consider. Number two, there's an emotional price to be paid for having an abortion. I wish this was talked about more. Despite all the political posturing and the legal maneuvering to protect uh, the freedom of a woman to choose. What is not talked about enough is the emotional pain experienced by the very woman that we're trying to protect. And I sincerely believe this, and I, again, I know this is debatable, and, you know, it's okay. 
But I sincerely believe that in our hearts we know that all life is precious and that we know that what grows in the womb of a woman is far from just a mass. We know. In our heart of hearts, we understand that. And that's why that heart knowledge is, it makes it so difficult for, for women who have experienced abortion. They suffer emotionally because in their hearts they know. Now, you can understand the nature of this issue and the controversial uh, stuff surrounding it. That's difficult in some ways to find unbiased data and research data. I will admit that to you. But let me just read some things, again, just to give you a broader perspective of this issue of emotional suffering. Psychologists have found that though emotional side effects vary from woman to woman, that's a given, that the potential, and the key word there is potential, potential, but the potential side effects include regret, anger, guilty feelings, shame, sense of loneliness or isolation, insomnia or nightmares, relationship issues, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, depression, and even anxiety. Some women suffer from what now is called post-abortion syndrome, or PTSD even, post-traumatic stress disorder. And this may manifest as clinical depression, an anxiety disorder, substance abuse, an eating disorder, or sexual difficulties. And another reported study that, that, that looked at the, the adverse effects of those who had had an abortion, unique to them, other symptoms, including avoidance of babies, fear of future pregnancies, or, and I found this one interesting, a quick attempt to become pregnant again, to create an atonement child to replace the one that was lost. Those are symptoms that are unique to those that have had an abortion sometimes. A study of the medical records of 56,000 Medicaid patients in California revealed that women who had abortions were 160%, 160% more likely than delivering women to be hospitalized for psychiatric treatment within the first 90 days after having an abortion. And in another study of post-abortion patients, only eight weeks after their abortion, researchers found that 44% complained of nervous disorders, 36% had experienced sleep disturbances, 31% had regrets about their decision, and 11% had, prescribed, had been prescribed psychotropic medication by a doctor. Now, I know, again, some of that, you think, well, that's debatable. I don't know if that's, that's not true of me, not true of my friend. I don't know if that's across the board. It's not. They do vary from woman to woman. But I don't think enough is being said about this potential incredible emotional suffering that happens. And I know the risk of boring you with statistics. I'm really trying to move through that quickly. But guys, I, I need you to hear this again. It's not just statistics. It's people. Each one of those things represents a woman or, a, or a thousands, hundreds of thousands of women in distress. And they're women that God deeply loves. I pastored a church in Portland quite a few years ago. And I had a woman come to our church, and, and she gave her life to Jesus. And as I got to know her and know her story, she shared with me her personal experience relating this issue, and it broke my heart. She said, I, I had two abortions, actually, and prior to coming into a relationship with Jesus, I had two. First one was when I was 15 years old. And she said, I used to be an honor student. I was... I, extremely liked in school. I did well. I was on a fast track to fame and glory, probably. And she said, I just, I had a great life. She said, but after my first abortion, I began to suffer suicidal depression and had an eating disorder. And she said, it almost killed me. Now, here's the good news. Listen, guys, Jesus healed her. It's what he does. He heals. Jesus healed her. But I will never forget what she said to me. She said, Kurt, no one ever told me at the abortion clinic what I might go through, no one. 
And I couldn't talk to anybody else because of the guilt and the shame. What I want you to hear in this is that when you hurt, God hurts. And when we are in emotional pain, he is moved with compassion for us. God deeply cares. And this is why this issue matters to him and should matter to us, because he loves people and he wants them whole. You see, sin creates an agony in our soul. We can deny it. In our culture, it's quite common to reject the notion of sin. Well, it's just because it's wrong for you doesn't make it wrong for me. Everything's relative, blah, 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 blah. You know, we argue, we can deny it, we can reject it, we can run from it, we can try and numb it. There's a whole lot of things we can try to do with sin, but here's, here's reality 101. We know in our knower, in our guts, that there's a right and a wrong. We know it. God made us as human beings in his image with the capacity to understand something. And one of those things we, we have is a conscience that, that provokes us. And then there's the Holy Spirit who is trying to bring us to relationship with Christ, showing us our need for him. Sin creates this agony. It eats at us. It eats away at us. Now, we can harden our hearts, sear our hearts, eventually become hard-hearted and, and not even care, close our ears to the work of God. But the truth is, sin eats at us. And there's probably a lot of examples I could give you from the Scriptures, but none better than the one of David. David who committed adultery and murder, two pretty big sins. And he wrote this in Psalm 51. I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. David said, I, I, I see it everywhere I go. It's always, I see it, I get it, I know, I failed. Sin separates us from God. And whether we know it or not, we were made to be in relationship with God, which is precisely why we are so messed up when we go our own way and why God is not angry or hateful or spiteful or ready to whop you, but he's ready to love you. He doesn't want to just beat you. He wants to draw you to him. As David also wrote these words in Psalm 51. The same passage where he talked about how I get, I've sinned. I know my failure. Then his prayer was, God, make me pure. Then I will be clean. Wash me. Then I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear, hear you say, God, your sins are forgiven. That will bring joy and gladness. Let the body you've broken be glad. Take away all my sins. Wipe away all the evil things I've done. God, created me a pure heart and give me a spirit that is faithful to you. Created me a clean heart, O oh God. David knew his sin. He knew what he'd done, but he did the right thing. He did the, the wise thing. He did the healing thing. He came to God and said, oh God, please, I know what I've done. I know I've failed, but I, I cast myself on your grace and your mercy. Left to ourselves, we carry the weight and burden of our sin, but the good news is God has provided a way to live free and to, to live forgiven. He has. Which takes me to my brief and very important final point, number three. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. It's not. And I want you to hear this. Grace is spoken here. I will never be the guy, we will never be the church that rants and raves and walks around with banners and posters and yells harsh, mean, ugly things at people. I'm not going to cast, you know, stones. I'm not going to be con condemning or judgmental. I'm going to speak the truth with grace. I think that's what Jesus did. And rather than scream at the darkness, I want to be light and walk in the light. I think that's what matters. But I want to finish speaking to those of you that have failed here in this area of abortion or failed in any area of your life. Listen, God longs to embrace you and to forgive you. He knows the anguish you feel. And we have a God who's ready and willing, willing to forgive and to heal us. That forgiveness will not bring back the baby, but it will bring life and hope to anyone. Listen to me, to anyone who accepts and embraces 
his free gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness. God isn't picky with his pardon. Sometimes we, we buy the lie that, well, I've, I've sinned too much, I've gone too far, I've failed too much. That's just, that's not truth. That is not from heaven. That's from the pit of hell. God is not picky with his pardon. And here's what the Bible says we can experience in Ephesians 1, 7. We can be set free because of what Christ has done. Through his blood, our sins can be forgiven. We can be set free because God is rich in his grace. God's just, he's not stingy with it. He's not giving you just a little bit. He's rich. He's overwhelming in his goodness and his grace towards us. By grace, through faith, we can be saved. We can be forgiven. And here's what God says he will do with all our past and all our sin. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our sin from us. We can live free. You see, here's the deal. We give God our garbage, our baggage, all our stuff, our sin, our past. And in exchange, we get his priceless gift of forgiveness. And in my book, that's an awfully good deal. I want to finish today reading to you a portion of an email that I got this week from a woman in our church. In fact, she was here in the last service. And it's not very likely I'll get through this without bawling because every time I read it, it moves me. But she wrote these words. Should I know the shame and the agony that is a result of choosing an abortion? I'm adopted, and yet I chose at a very young age to abort a child because I felt the child would be better off not being born to a single mother. And I didn't trust myself to be able to give her up for adoption. How selfish was that? Me being adopted myself couldn't see past my own selfish doubts to give my baby a chance at life. I was not a Christian when all this happened, but I did believe in God. And I was so grief-stricken after the procedure that there were days I did not feel I could go on. The guilt was overwhelming. Then one night, several months after the abortion, she writes, I had a dream. And in this dream, a little girl came to me She wrapped her arms around me and said, I forgive you, Mommy. I'm with Jesus now. Though that has given me some comfort, she writes, over the years, the only thing that has healed this wound is the forgiveness I have received through Christ. The only thing that has healed this wound is the forgiveness I have received through Jesus. You need to know that grace is spoken here, not judgment or condemnation, not hate, but grace, love, and truth. But forgiveness is yours for the taking. It's yours. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know how painful this is for some. I'm also well aware, God, of how this has indeed pushed some buttons in people. I know the arguments, I know the debate, God, but Jesus, I know people. And there are people that you love, and these are people sitting in this room and watching online, people that you deeply, deeply love. And you ache for them, and you want them to know the freedom they can have from their past and from regrets. The freedom they can have to walk in your mercy and your goodness and your grace 
every day. And Lord, all of us, we share this in common. We've all sinned, every one of us. Abortion's not the unpardonable sin. It's, it's, we've all sinned, God. We've all failed. We all need your grace and your mercy today. And many of us in this room have experienced that. And God, I am grateful. I stand before you and these people as a guy so grateful. So grateful for your grace in my life. I know I wouldn't be alive today, Jesus, if it weren't for you. God, I pray that you would reach into our hearts now and show us that you love us and draw us to a place of repentance, of acceptance, embracing the, the grace, the free gift that you've offered to us. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today or maybe you're watching this later on, and you're online right now, I, I want you to know God is right here. He's right there with you. And he's inviting you. He's, he's asking you to come to him. He's the healer. He's the forgiver. He's not mad at you. He's not angry. He's not ticked. He's not looking for an excuse to, to whoop you, to beat you up, to hurt, to hurt you. He wants to heal you. But for us to experience that, it's a gift, but we have to embrace it. We have to accept it. We have to say, yes, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I have messed things up, and I surrender my life to you. And if that's you, and in your heart you know right now, yes, I need that. I want that. I'm desperate for that. Is it true that I can be forgiven? I want you to know you can be. And if you'll just make this prayer right now, this simple prayer I'm going to pray, your prayer, you begin. It's what's in your heart that matters. But if you'll just own these words, then you can begin your life as a Christ follower right now. Make these, this prayer yours. Father, forgive me. I've failed. I've sinned. I've gone my own way. I've made a mess of things, God, and I surrender my past, my baggage, my garbage, all. I surrender it all to you. I surrender my present to you, God. I surrender my future to you. I yield to you. I say yes to you. And I embrace right here, right now, this free gift of salvation that you've offered to me. I can't hardly believe it, God. I, it seems too good to be true, but I accept your love and your grace. And I say yes to you. And I surrender my all. Thank you for giving your all for me. Now, if that's you, again, just in your own way, in your own heart, Maybe it's just a whisper, say, yeah, God, oh, that's me, that's me, that's what I want. The Bible says that instant you say yes to him, you become his child forever. You enter into relationship with Jesus. And that's a journey, it's a long ways to go and grow, but he's with you now every step along the way. Lord, for those making that decision, seal in their hearts how powerful this is what you have done. And Lord, what we think we've got to get it all figured out and fixed, just show them. Now it's been done for them by you. And seal that truth in our hearts right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one of my favorite songs, and it is a declaration. And it's a prayer. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he loves us. And I want you to sing that today, believing in your heart of hearts that he loves you no matter what. We're going to pass the offering bag. If you're visiting with us, drop the connection card in there. Give, because you love the Lord today. Give to support what God's doing here. But let's sing this song from our heart, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I don't have time to maintain these regrets. I love that line. Because of his love. And that was a very personal issue for me. Because of the people in my life that I've walked with and loved, deeply cared for. It's also a personal issue for me because of my grandson. You've seen him before. I got a picture of Caleb. And uh, 
I love this little boy. I cannot imagine my life without him. Did you know that the number one killer in the African-American community is abortion of black children? Number one. Not drug addiction, not violence, not heart attacks. The number one killer in the black community is abortion of black children. I cannot imagine my life without that little guy. I'm so glad his mother chose, his birth mother chose adoption versus abortion. I know this is a sticky wicket for some. I know that I've pressed some of your buttons. Remember, we leave here in love. But I want you to understand the heart of God. That he values your life, all life. It's all precious to him. If you need prayer, there'll be some people down front here. One of them, my friend Rebecca. I'd love to pray with you if you've been through abortion. Because she's been there. If you need communion, it's on both sides of the room. Stop. Celebrate the grace and the goodness of God in your life. Again, take some moments just to wander by the tables to find a way to get connected here at East Point. We want you to grow with us. But I pray that you'll go. Go with his heart for all life today. Go in his love. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.